I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Hello, everyone. We're so glad you could join us for another episode of the Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Jacob Robinson. Dad, today our guest is Sam Acho. Sam is an NFL player, a writer, public speaker, and a humanitarian. He speaks widely at colleges, events, conferences, and churches, and is the co-host of The Home Team Podcast. The founder and president of Athletes for Justice, he is the vice president of the NFL Players Association and a graduate of the University of Texas, which we'll forgive him for, and the Thunderbird School of Global Management. Sam, welcome to the show, man. I'm not sure. I'm glad to be here, but I'm not sure I'm not the one. I'm not sure I'm the one who needs forgiveness. I think I might need to, to y'all might need to ask for some forgiveness. The AM connection, Giggle, oh, Aggies. That's right. That's right. Hey, what, what we uh, we cannot uh, take uh, for on the on the football field. We, we have to make up for in jokes. So you know, uh, it is what it is. Life is tough. Oh, uh, Sam. We are so glad you're here, my friend. And uh, just tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Tell us about growing up and uh, in your younger years before you headed off to college. Yes, definitely. Well, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and my parents are actually from Nigeria. And so they were born and raised in Nigeria and they came to America in their early 20s. And so I grew up, yes, in Texas, but it was really in a Nigerian household, right? My name is Sam. First name is Samuel. My middle name is Onyedi Kachi. Which means in Igbo, it means who is like unto God. There is no one like God. You can't compare anybody to God. And 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 my my grandmother, who just passed away not too long ago, uh, she she gave me the name Oziyama Beke, and she doesn't speak English. She didn't speak English, but Oziyama Beke means good news from America. Another word way to say it means gospel. You know, my dad was in Nigeria and he was preaching the gospel to people and people were looking at him like he was crazy because there was a war that had just ended and there was no food and no money and no jobs. And he said, I'm going to go start preaching to anyone who will listen. They had nothing, wow. nothing. And he was preaching the gospel. There were some missionaries from America who came and who heard him and saw him. They said, Hey, we came to preach and teach to you. We need you to come and preach to us in America. So that was how he got his God, that's how God had opened up the door for him to come to America. And then they had, my parents had kids. I have two older sisters and they had a son and then, which is me and then my younger brother. So Oziyama means good news or gospel. Beke means America. So good news from America. Samuel is my given name. Samuel means heard by God. Onyedi Kachi. And so that was kind of how I grew up in this Nigerian household, but I also went to a, a predominantly white School. It was an all-white school called St. Mark's School of Texas, really, you know, one of the top-ranked schools in the nation. Mondays through Fridays, that's where I spent my time. But on Sundays, my dad still pastored a church. He's a medical health expert as well. He's a, a marriage counselor. He's been practicing for over 30 years and does business as well. But he, he helped pastor this church in South Dallas, predominantly black church. So on Sundays and Wednesdays, we were at that church. And on Mondays through Fridays, I was at that school. Then in you know, my house, it was this Nigerian house. So it was kind of grew up with all these different worlds. And so, yeah, that was kind of like how I grew up. I know we talked about I played in the NFL for the last nine years. I didn't hope or plan or dream of making it to the NFL. It wasn't until I went to this football camp in high school at USC, University of Southern California. They were a perennial powerhouse at the time. I went to a football camp. I got discovered in a lot of ways, and that's how the whole opportunity to play football really arose. Well, you, you, yeah, I mean, that's uh, first off, I think sixty something episodes in, uh, that's by far the coolest name uh, we've had on the ep- uh, on the show. So that that's pretty awesome. Um, but you know, uh, jokes aside, you you did go play football at the other school uh, in the state. 
Um, and, and that is a phenomenal, phenomenal achievement. What was that like? What was your decision like to go there? And and how was that experience uh, in college? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. So I went to the University of Texas, the best school in the state of Texas, hands down. (laughs) Uh, You know, we used to grow up and I didn't, I didn't know much about college sports. I didn't know much about it. I didn't, I used to watch cartoons, not college football growing up. But people used to always make Aggie jokes. That's all that I know when I grew up. And so, and so that's, we're joking about Jacob's school, Texas A&M. We're rivals. We used to be rivals. People called us rivals, but it's hard to be a rival with someone you're always beating. I don't know. I don't know. And so, and hey, so, hey, we do have equestrian on lockdown. All right. so, uh, that, that is, we do have that. No, but, uh, it was, it was interesting. I, I, initially did not want to go to play football at the university of texas i thought that uh-huh. yeah it was it was a it, like they were always and i'm not even saying this in joker and jest but i just seemed it seemed like they were always winning and they were front runners and people they were always, it's just like i, I love the underdog mm. and so the little that i watched in college football that team was always the best and winning and all these games and national championship i wanted to go to a team where you could help them build something i wanted to go somewhere where you wouldn't just walk in and when every game, I wanted to help grow and help build and help lead and all those kind of things. And so initially, even when it, not even to play football, even when it came to schools, because the other side of it, too, was in the state of Texas, there was this deal. I didn't know much about it, but there was this deal where you found out that, like, that the top 10 percent of all students automatically get acceptance into this school. And so I'm sitting there like, well, I don't want to go to a school where everyone automatically gets accepted. I want to go to a school where you have to really try hard and apply. And and so initially I was thinking, I don't know, Harvard, Stanford, Yale. I got really good grades. I was, you know, I got I had an offer from like Cambridge to go overseas wow, and go to wow. school there. Wow. And and then I went to this football camp at the University of Southern California. We were in, it was the summertime, it was right around this time about 10, 12 years ago. And, and my, my younger brother, my little brother who loved football, you watch film of guys, watch all the games. He heard about this football camp at USC and USC at the time really was a powerhouse. They had won two or three national championships in a row and, and they were winning all these games. And my brother heard about this football camp. He said, Hey dad, it's in California, but can we go? We've got some family friends out there. It's a two day camp. What do you think? Dad said, Okay, sure. We'll make it a family trip. Visit visit our friends. Go to this camp. So we fly. We show up to this camp. We show up in California. We go to this camp. We realize once we get there, it was an invite only camp. Oh, oh. And we were not invited. Oh man, we weren't invited, and we had no idea. So we show up, and not only was it an invite only camp, it was their top three hundred camp, meaning that the top three hundred players from the entire state of California were the ones who were invited to this camp, not us. Wow. Not us. And so we show up to the door, to the little, the, the table and they're checking registration and they're looking at, they're looking through the names and they're not seeing our names. And they're saying, are you from here? Are you invited? And I don't know what my dad said. I don't know. Maybe they looked at us. We were kind of bigger kids. I don't know why they let us in, but for whatever reason, they let us in and, and I shined. But here's the thing about that day and about that, about that camp. A couple years earlier, I might have been in sixth, seventh, maybe eighth grade. There was this thing called Awana, right? This youth yeah. kind of group. And That's and true. there was some kind of like tournament or something like this athletic thing where like all the kids from all the different states, maybe even all of Texas. I didn't even know who it was. I was 12, 13. Showed up for this thing. And we were like, it was like this race. You would compete. You would do all these different drills. I didn't know much about it, but I liked running and playing and having fun. And I felt like I did pretty good at this thing, but I didn't know who else was at it. But I did know there was this deal of competing and like wanting to to like lead and wanting to just be the first one to do it and do it well and do it right. And so so I had that in me already. I go to this football camp, once again, top 300, not knowing who's there, not knowing much about it. I I didn't know about the school, about the team. I didn't know anything. But I I always wanted to to be the first one to do the drill. Hmm. (laughs) I always wanted to be the the one who was first in line because it seemed like everyone else was 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 reluctant. They were hesitant. And I didn't care. I said, well, shoot, I'll go. I'll try. It's not that easy. You shuffle this way. You shuffle that way. You, I mean, might, might as well give it a shot. My last name's Acho anyways with an A. So I'm used to being called first. So, so give it a shot. So that was what I wanted to do. So I caught myself in this camp. If they ever said, hey, first group's up, I would just pop up to the front of the line. 
And I would do that drill after drill after drill. Then finally, we ended up going to this this one-on-one drill, right? I played defensive end. I rushed the quarterback. And it was these one-on-one drills, defensive linemen versus offensive linemen. You versus another man, mano y mano. And so the goal is for the offensive lineman to keep you from getting to this pseudo quarterback. They'd use like a blocking, tackling dummy in the back. And your goal was to find a way to beat the offensive lineman and get to the quarterback. And I won every single time. It didn't matter who they put in front of me. I just was like, I just... I like to compete. So if that's the goal, I'm going to go reach the goal. Wasn't thinking too much of it. Wasn't like rah, rah, just boom, 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 do something and make a move. And so I do the drill. I go to the next one. And I'm like I said, I'm, I want to be in the front. I'm going, I'm going. All of a sudden, one of the coaches pulls me from the drill that we had moved on to and says, hey, Sam, I need you to go back and do that one-on-one drill again. And first of all, I was upset. I'm like, but coach, like they've been seeing me in the front. Like, this is me. I want to show I'm leaders. I said, Sam, we got to go back. But coach, I wanted, did I mess up? What happened? It said, Sam, don't worry about it. Just do this drill one more time. I said, okay, fine. I go and I do the drill. And once again, boom, boom, boom. I beat my guy. Boom, boom, boom. I beat the next guy. Boom, boom, boom. I beat the next guy. I'm like trying to hurry up so I can go back to catch up with my group. So I'm not in the back. And as I'm walking back, I think the coach's name was Lane Kiffin at the time. He was in a recruiting coordinator. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know who it was. A recruiting. I didn't know who this guy was. I'm serious. And I'm walking back, and I'm like, "Hey, coach. I'm 17. I'm like, hey, coach. Why did y'all have me go back and do that drill again? Like, what happened? Like, was it just not good the first time? Like, what do you? What did I mess up? They said, "No, Sam. We needed the head coach to see you live and in person. Pete Carroll showed up, and he wanted to see you do those drills. Wow." wow. Your response was, wow. My response was, who is Pete Carroll? I didn't watch football, y'all. And so I go back, I finish the camp, and all of a sudden, out of this top 300 camp, me and four other players get called up to Pete Carroll's office. And and he he says this. He says, he, he calls us each one by one. He says, man, you all were phenomenal. You guys shined. You were all stars. We have another camp coming up in about a month from now, three to four weeks from now our second of our top 300 camps. We love what we did. We're going to be in touch. We're really considering offering you all scholarships. So just keep your phone on. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like I'm not, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm walking out of his office. I was with my dad at the time and I stop and I say, Oh coach, I, cause I remembered something. I said, coach in two weeks from now, me and my dad and our family, we're going to be going to Nigeria to do medical missions trips. So if you call and I don't pick up, it's not because I don't like you or don't want to talk to you. It's because I'm overseas and I have no service. We right. go to villages. He says, okay, Sam, don't worry. We'll be in touch. Two weeks later, I'm in the airport getting ready to go through security and my phone rings. It's Ken Norton Jr., the recruiting coordinator for USC. He says, Sam, I've got Coach Carroll right here next to me. We want to offer you a scholarship to the USC Trojans, the number one school. And all we need you to do, all we need you to do is to tell Coach these few simple words, say, I want to be a Trojan. <laughs> I'm like, well, Coach, what, what, do you, what does that mean? And like, what do you mean? He's like, we want you to tell him I want to be a Trojan. You verbally commit. It's going to be great. You're going to be, but Coach, but, 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 here's Coach Carroll. Oh, my. They give Coach Carroll the phone. And small talk for a little bit. How you doing? Yeah, I'm in the airport. Oh, man. Say you know, all these things. Small talk, small talk, small talk. Finally, after a few minutes, Coach Carroll's like, well, um, Sam, is, is there anything you'd like to say? Is there anything you'd like to say? I say, well, Coach, I would love the opportunity to one day consider the potential of maybe being something like a Trojan coach. I got to go to the plane taken off and I hang up the phone on Pete Carroll. Oh man. (laughs) Yes. I freaked out. I freaked out. Number one, like uh, it was two, it was twofold. Number one, like something in my spirit wasn't sitting well about this pressure and verbally committing. And, and I, and I I wanted to be a man of my word. And even though my, you know, I had people around me saying, well, just commit, you could just say commit and let other people see you. I said, Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't, doesn't sit well with me. Number one. And number two, even as I was at that camp, what they had told me, they said, Sam, you'll be a surefire first round pick. I said, what do you mean? They said, you're big, you're fast, you're strong. And the NFL is moving towards these big and fast and quick defensive tackles, right? I played defensive end. I was about 245 or so pounds at high school. They said, Sam, you put, a, put on another 40, 50 pounds, be about 300 
and you'll be a surefire first round pick. Well, mind you, I was already a big kid. I was already pretty self-conscious about my weight, number one, right? I'm 17. I'm this big old right. kid. I wasn't, wasn't muscles all the time. And, and, and also, my dad had spent some time with, with people. He, he has patients who play for the Cowboys and all these things. People who were in wheelchairs because of all the extra weight they had when they were playing football. People with heart conditions. Right. So all the extra weight. So he was thinking, man, defensive tackle is not really a great position. Felt like I was being pressured. And so even in the preliminary conversations with the school before Pete Carroll called during that meeting, it was about defensive tackle. I said, well, coach, I want to be defensive end. Well, no, you'll be defensive tackle, defensive end. They said, don't worry, Sam, you'll be somewhere on the defensive line. We'll take care of you. It's something was was fishy. And so I I hung up and I hung up and I got on the plane. And as I as we took off, I'm freaking out. Should I call him back? Hey, tell him I'm sorry. Tell him I want to go. And my dad says, son, calm down. God's in control. Yes. He's going to take care of you. So we go, we land, we serve for 10 days. We're serving the people in in different villages in Nigeria, my dad's village, mom's village, other villages in the surrounding area. And I completely forgot about that offer. I was serving. I was home. There's no better way to put it. I was home. I get back after those 10, 12 days, land in the United States. Mind you, no phone service, no nothing. We land in Newark, New Jersey. All of a sudden, my f- my phone turns on. I've turned it on, and it starts to 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 buzz off the hook. There's 50 missed calls. I look at it. 37 messages from coaches all around the country. They had heard that USC had offered me number one and number two. My highlight tape got put on this recruiting website called Rivals, oh, and yes. so all of a sudden, all the different coaches were calling, offering me scholarships, and so I decided. Uh, to go to the University of Texas, not because it was uh, the, the best school or the greatest school or anything like that. I went to UT, honestly, because like I, re- I really wanted to go to Stanford, right? Great academics, all the things. They were going through a coaching change. And so while I'm getting calls from head coaches from all these other schools, Stanford doesn't even know who their head coach is going to be. Mm. So that's Stanford. USC, I, I said, hey, is the offer still available? They said, yeah, Sam, don't worry. We got you. In the meantime, they'd already signed other Six five, you know, right. two twenty, slender defensive ends. I'm like, okay, you know, you want me a defensive tackle, and Texas, I hadn't heard anything from them. So I'm sitting here, what's going on? Now, I know they had just beat USC in the national championship. Maybe I'm a good fit for USC, not for Texas. I hadn't heard, Texas, I hadn't heard anything. We'll come to find out that Mac Brown, the head coach, was on vacation during that time. And when Mac Brown's on vacation, you don't call Mac Brown, Mac Brown during his vacation wow. unless it's good. And so finally, after a while, they were like, they called him and he said, this better be good. They said, coach, it is. They send him my tape. He gives the thumbs up to, for me to come take a visit. I come and take a visit. His vaca- he cuts his vacation short. And it's me, my dad, my mom, and my younger brother. We drive from Dallas to Austin to go meet with Coach Brown. Mind you, USC has pressured me. Right. Other schools were, in a lot of ways, trying to pressure me. I sit down and it's Mac Brown and his wife, Sally in their office as i'm even walking through campus through the the facility they knew i was nigerian there were a couple of nigerian players who were already on the team they greeted me at the door wow greeted my parents at the door sit down with coach and his wife hmm. people talk family and family atmosphere all the time coach and his wife and he looks at me and says sam you waited for us We'll wait for you. Usually we tell people they have 24 hours to commit. That's how we are. We're Texas. We can get anybody we want because you waited because we we dropped the ball. Sam, take your time. However long you need. We love you. We want you here. We think you're a perfect fit, but take your time. As soon as you said that, I said, where can I sign? Wow. And so so that's that's how I ended up at at the other school. Man, you know, again, all jokes aside, I mean, I, nothing but respect for for Mac Brown and and everybody that talks about him. I, I've never heard an ill word about him, uh, you know. And 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 um, I think he's continued to do great things uh, in mm-hmm. North Carolina, and I, I just I have great respect for him. And um, <clears throat> I guess a, a takeaway from this show is, so far, if if you are going to be a Texas A&M football coach, maybe we should recruit with the philosophy of, hey, you want to help us build. Uh, we didn't know. Uh, we should we should take that strategy. Uh, that that might have gotten Sam Macho if if we had if we had played our real cards uh, at, at that at that time. 
Uh, Sam, I've just got to know any other schools that you were seriously considering at that time that uh, that were also on the table? Absolutely. Yeah. For whatever reason, UVA, University of Virginia was a school I was seriously considering. I just felt like they had great academics and I don't know what it was about the school. Maybe it was the colors. I don't know. I like Auburn too. <laughs> it's not like the blue and the orange. Yeah, I'm a color right. guy. And right. so I, I was seriously considering UVA. I went and visited UVA and I had an experience there that that really changed everything. I number one, some of the buildings aren't as developed, right? It's a little bit older, and that's fine. Or to each to each their own. But I was sitting down with the coach. Once again, my dad had come with me on this trip, and I was sitting down with the coach, and he was. We were watching film of some other players. I think the guy's name was Clint Sintim. He was a UVA Cavalier who was going to get drafted and led the led the conference in sacks and. We're watching film on him and the coach is describing ways that I can play and things that we can do together. And as he's doing this description, I'm 17 years old. My dad is with me. He says, hey, get up. Let me." The coach is like, well, get up. Let me show you this thing. And so he, the coach grabs my arm. He grabs it. He kind of turns me and says, hey, let, let's do it this way. And then you want to turn. He kind of grabs it. Do this and do that. And we'll push you and do that. And, and it wasn't as if we were in a meeting room. Right. We weren't on a field. We weren't. We weren't on a you know, in practice. And it wasn't as if you kind of just asked someone to get up. He, he grabbed my arm, kind of pulled me up and said, Hey, let's do it this way. And, and and I didn't think too much of it. I figured, well, this is college. This is how coaches do. This is just the way it is. We left that meeting. My dad said, uh-uh, mm-hmm. not him, mm-hmm. not him. I'm not going to let anybody, and he didn't verbalize it this way, but he saw a disrespect. Mm-hmm. He saw that this coach for whatever reason, whether it was because it was me Maybe it was a, a race thing. Maybe it just his style. Who knows? But for whatever reason, there was some disrespect there that my dad had seen. He said, you don't need to go and play for a coach like that. In my mind, I'm like, well, this is maybe it's normal. Yep. But see, you saw the difference. I also took a right. trip to Vanderbilt. I had visited Vanderbilt. One of my friends, his dad was a on the board of regents or something at Vanderbilt. And I went to the a football camp at Vanderbilt but before USC, before I even knew. I just showed up because my friend was going. And and. Went to this camp and and we left the camp. This is before the 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 top three hundred camp. And I left that camp and and they were like, "Hey Sam, you're pretty good, but you, you've got raw talent. You know, you've got some raw talent. Maybe we can develop it. Maybe we can't. Kind of thing. Raw talent." And I'm thinking, "Cool, raw talent, some talent, at least it's something." Yeah. Right. I leave that trip once again. My dad's like, "Uh, uh-uh. uh, my son doesn't have raw talent. What is that supposed to mean? Hmm. Right? What is that supposed to mean?" But mind you, and I'm thinking, "But dad, who? Can- at least they said I got something." Well, fast forward, you go to a school like USC, let's sign you on the dot. And so you can see Texas is the same way. You can see the difference. There's a saying people say people are going to tell you who they are. It's up to you to believe them or not. And so for me, I wasn't seeing it. But these coaches, the coach at UVA, even the Vanderbilt staff, they were showing me who they were. Even the people at USC and Texas, the good and the bad, people are going to show you who they are. It's up to you to believe them or not. So it was Stanford. School I liked, they had no coach. UVA, they were you know, grabbing my arm. And and USC had fell off because I knew they were going to make me uh, uh, a defensive tackle. And so those were the main schools when it came to football. Obviously, I could have gone to some other schools, but I wanted to, to play football and get a great education. Wow. Well, I just say kudos to your wise dad. Uh, yeah. He is so well thought of. Uh, Jacob and I have mutual friends that know your dad very, very well. Uh, also, having had the privilege of working with your sister and how much she loves and adores both of her parents. And uh, uh, you do come from a great family. And uh, what a blessing it is to have a dad to look out for you and to really have his discernment radar on and scanning everything around you just to make sure that uh, his son is well taken care of. Yeah, it's interesting. And I love that you said that, Glenn. There are so many parents that I don't know if we understand the amount, and Jacob, you do, and I'm sure your siblings do as well, but the amount of influence and impact and protection that we can have for our children. I was 17 and I needed that protection for my dad. I didn't mention this story. I went back and I committed to Texas. And and before I committed, before I officially committed, my dad said, hey, I need you to call the coaches at USC and let them know your decision. I said, why? Like, what do you mean? I'm, who cares? He said, Sam, out of respect, they offered you first. Out of respect, just let them know. And who, who knows? You never know. They may be, you may run into them again down the line. Right. Like, okay, whatever. So I call the coaches at USC, talk about this protection piece you talked about as parents. 
And I call one of the the court recruiting coordinators and I tell him, hey, coach, I just wanted to tell you that I'm going to be decided to go to University of Texas. Thank you so much for your offer, your interest. USC is a great school, one of my dream schools. All the, and he starts to cuss me out. Oh, wow. This coach. You said you're going to what? I said, I'm going to take, who the, do you think you are? Mm. We put you on the map. Mm. You got to be crazy to, 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 you know, starts cussing me out. You're at this, you're at that. You'll never be this. You'll never be that. How dare you? Da-da. And my dad over here, my see, y'all don't know this. People don't know this. My dad on every call with every coach, my dad was right there. Wow. Phone was in, phone was in one ear. My dad was inches away. Uh-huh. And he heard what the coach had said. And immediately he, he, he said, son, give me the phone. I'm 17. I'm 6'2", 245. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, but I'm still a kid. Son, give me the phone. Takes the phone from me. I give my dad the phone. He says, hey, don't you ever wow. talk to my son like that ever again. Who do you think you are? Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm, I'm 32 now. I'll never forget that moment. It showed me what it's like to be a dad, to protect, to guide. Even when your children are bigger than you and they think they're smarter than you and they think they know more than you, we still need protection. We still need guidance. We need these guardrails. I think about bowling and how sometimes you'll bowl and you bowl and, 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 and you go to a bowling alley. And if you don't have those rails up, the ball could go in the gutter and all of a sudden you lose no points, no nothing. Right. But if, if you put those, those rails up, so parents can be these rails. You may not bowl a strike every time, but it can keep you from getting in the gutter. And there's still a small percentage, a small chance. If you just curve the ball just right, it could still go in the gutter right past the rail and miss a pin. But but I think that's what parents can be, no matter how young or how old you are. And yes, there's a time where you, for lack of better terms, graduate from parent to mentor and then to friend and confidant. But when you have young kids, under the sound of your voice in your house, let's lead them well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I was just going to say uh, briefly, just what affirmation uh, and wisdom from your father to make that follow-up phone call, because it gave you, I know, a complete piece. And I bet you whether Texas won or lost on any given Saturday, the thought of having played at USC never crossed your mind again. It didn't. It did not. It did not. It, it didn't. And even more interestingly, then that is four years later when I was graduating from Texas. Pete Carroll and his entire staff, they left and they went to the NFL. Mind you, I wanted to go to the NFL. Yep. So the coaches and the staff, they went to Seattle, the Seattle Seahawks. And so these same coaches, if you recall, my dad said, you never know, you may run into them again down the line. Were now they had now had an opportunity to draft me to select me and and obviously I ended up getting drafted to the Arizona Cardinals which were rivals against the Seahawks we played each other year after year after year and they remembered I think they're still a little bit mad about me not committing I think Pete Carroll's still <laughs> mad about me hanging up but they remembered and so even that little gesture of of saying man you never know right honor them respect them you never know and so I learned a ton from him. Well, you know, it's a, it's a good segue of what I want to talk about next, but, but to round out that point about you and I are blessed to have great fathers, right? We are, we are blessed. That, that is, um, a, it's an unfortunate, um, scarcity sometimes that, that kids don't grow up with great fathers like we had, but it's also a great reminder of like, if we have great earthly fathers, um, think about how, how amazing our, our heavenly father is, you know, and, and how much more. And, and so for, for those of, of our listeners out there that, may not have that great earthly representation. Uh, there is a heavenly father that uh, will defend, protect, care, guide, uh, no matter how old we are uh, and how, how much we, we screw it up and, and uh, don't deserve it. And so you and I get to see that on, on, a, on an earthly side, but there's an even uh, greater heavenly side out there. And so um, I, I want to go now to, to you know, you guys, because I want I want to get to your book, obviously, but I want to talk real quick. You made it to the NFL, right? You talked about that. You were with Cardinals. You were with a, with a few other teams. I mean, that is the the top of the top of the top of the top, right? And and walk us through what that experience was like. What walk us through what that feeling was like, knowing that you had made it uh, by that definition, uh, and and just tell us about that time. Yeah, well, we have some mutual friends in the Golds. 
John John Gold is uh, he was a punter when I was at Texas and and we played together. We were great friends. Mark Gold was the student yes. body president at A and M uh, at the other school. Excuse me. Yes. yes. Uh, <laughs> his, his smarter brother is what you mean. Yes. Uh, <laughs> right before you were student body president, and so and their families actually came with us on these trips to Nigeria. So you know, I was really close with with them and. It's just even thinking about that opportunity of training and grinding and all wanting to make it. Even John had a tryout, I believe it was, with the Seahawks. It was yeah. the Seahawks for a little bit uh, in the NFL. But being able to play in the NFL was, I mean, it's, it's interesting even saying was now, right? The, the, this is the first year I haven't played. Last year, the COVID year was the first year I haven't played. So even that, even just reminiscing that as I was thinking about obviously this time and this podcast and thinking about just these last few years, I started to reminisce on some of my best times and worst times. And, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Mm. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, and in all reality, it was a little things. It was having teammates. It wasn't the playing in front of a hundred thousand people and, and going to playoffs and, and, you know, making money and all that. It was the teammates. It was the guys in the locker room. That's what I remember the most. I also remember our, our flights to and from games. You know, they'd have all the, this is a little thing for me. They'd have all this candy for us. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, y'all got candy for free? I don't have to buy it. They'd have the cheese and crackers. Y'all got cheese and crackers for free? They'd have all these, I mean, like little things. I'm like, those are things. And like, I don't even have a sweet tooth, but the fact that they had these trays of candy. I, I don't even like Twizzlers. I'm like, I'll take a Twizzlers, please. It was the cool, like stuff like that. We had our own planes. Like it was just so cool. And so I'm hoping to find a way to somehow not necessarily recreate that, but just find that team atmosphere, that bond, because that that feeling is very hard to replicate, but there's nothing like it. Hmm. Nothing like it. Being yeah. on a team. It's it's interesting. You know, I was talking to um actually a mutual connection of ours, Andrew, uh, the other day at lunch, and and I've had the opportunity to be a part of and and start a couple businesses. And I, I just don't think I will ever, you know, I'll never say never, but I, I don't think I'll ever start a company or want to be a part of a company by myself, right? I mean, even if it's worth giving money away, it's just not as fun, you know, and, 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 and being in the trenches with somebody, uh, and going through those hard times makes those, those great times, uh, of successes, uh, even, even sweeter. And so I, I totally agree with you. I, I think finding that team to, to lock arms with and, and go to battle with, whether it's on the work front, the ministry front, the, the, the field front, whatever it is, uh, is, is, uh, just awesome. Can can I ask y'all a question? Cause y'all, sure. I'm sure I'm a guest. I'm glad I'm a guest, but I was listening to y'all's podcast before I hopped on and I was like, I like this podcast. I need to ask them. I got, I got so many questions. I'm not going to ask all of them, but one question I do have when it comes and but either, well, or either both Glenn or Jacob or either one of you or both of you all team, you talk about team and not doing things alone. I, Sometimes I like to do things alone because I know I'm going to get it done. I know I'm going to do it well. Then, But I'm also learning you can't accomplish greatness alone and you need to do it with a team. But I've also heard if you're going to do it with a team, you, got, you want to pick whether it's the best people or people that you actually want to work with. But sometimes I get so excited. I'm like, let's do it. And I'll just take whoever wants to volunteer. Come on. And and. Sometimes it's, I feel like it's kind of failed me sometimes. I'm like, man, it, it worked, but there's all these downfalls. Maybe I just, I just need to say, hey, sorry, guys. Love y'all. Thanks for volunteering. But I want to go and pick the people who are the best at this or maybe even pick the people who I actually want to do it with. What advice, Glenn, Jacob, would y'all have when it comes to a team and choosing your teammates? Yeah, that's a man. That's a great question because I, I, you know, I, I feel like my wife and I, we have these conversations all the time because I'm like you come one, come all, let's all go, let's just go do it. Right. And then I, then I'll find myself really frustrated with, uh, they either wouldn't do it the way I would do it. I, I, one of, I operate at a, I like to go quick, fast in a hurry. And, and sometimes people don't operate at that same speed. And I will say when I started the company I'm currently running, I made a thousand failures because I wasn't super selective about the team. And, and it wasn't that those were the wrong people. It was that it was, hey, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. And I was failing them 
because I wasn't clear about what I wanted to do or my expectations. And, and so I've, I've evolved from there of now. Um, I, I, my dad has taught me growing up and I've, I've heard other people say, and it's the old adage of, if you're the smartest person in the room, you better find the, a different room. And, and I, I try to live by that. I mean, I'm a part of a group now or two others where my insecurity, frankly, and if they listen to this podcast, they'll know it out loud. My insecurity is that I don't belong in the room anymore. And, and, and that those two guys are better at, than I am at, at, at the job. And I brought them on board and going, Oh, I might've worked myself out of a job. And so for me now, I think, how do I pick the team? I've gotten really good at realizing what I'm terrible at. Uh, and, and I go to try to find, I get laser focused about finding somebody that doesn't replicate what I can do. I'm also, I've also become aware of what I'm decent at. And so for me, I go find exactly the person that's great and loves what I hate doing. And, and so that's that's how I, I, I get around it. Dad, I don't know if that answers your question, but Dad, what, what do you think? Oh, oh, what a great question. Yeah. And and also what what great insight, Sam and, and Jacob both. Uh, for me, I, I learned very early on that having a team that has total trust, uh, it just is so much easier. It makes the journey so much sweeter. Um, and I always had um, either in my pocket or on my iPad or iPhone, a list of people that I would run into. And, um, and Sam, I don't mind sharing this with you. Your, your sister was one of those. I, I met her before she decided where she was going to go for graduate school, uh, stayed in touch with her. I knew that she would make an awesome member of our team and it has to do with her heart. It has to do with the fact that she is, uh, gets, gets along so well with people, but also pursues excellence, but also not only just pursuing excellence, but with a very compassionate heart. And for healthcare, that's that's real critical. And so it was just an honor to have your sister as our resident. And uh, we wanted to keep her for a long time. And as you know, her parents needed her back in Dallas to help with uh, their organization that they were uh, running, the Home Health Agency. And uh, and so Chi-Chi was a great fit there. Uh, but But always looking for people like your sister. And always knowing that if, if I, if I lose a team member, because as Jacob said, I don't want mediocre people on my team. I want people that are going to rise to become extraordinary at what they do. And as I look around Texas and other states, it's, it's, uh, it's really humbling to me to look at people that have been on our team that are now running their own hospitals. And that's, that's who I wanted on our team because I knew I would have them for only a brief season. But they would move on and move out and go do and pursue uh, higher, higher levels of, of performance. And every one of them, I just am so proud of them. As I look at Lubbock, Texas and Waxahachie and College Station and other other communities uh, across the, the country that have been a part of our team. And so you want the best. You don't want to stifle them. You don't want to keep them. And you want to make sure that you, as a leader, just give them every ounce of support and every tool that you can. Dad, you know, I think I think uh, uh, I'm going to I'm going to double down with Sam and I'm going to put you back on the spot here. I, I think um, and to our listeners out there, I think this is a great question because, Sam, I'm going to you know, I've, I've just met you face to face today, but I'm going to go ahead and, and, and make some broad characterizations that that people like you. People are drawn to you. You have a, a personality that people want to be around. You're going to go do big things. Um, and, and you're just you're just a really nice guy. And so people of all walks of life are going to say, hey, whatever you're doing, I want to be a part of what you're doing. The problem becomes, I would imagine, is you probably have a hard time telling people, I don't want you to, to come. You know, like, like <laughs> I, mean, I mean, all due respect, I love you, but I don't want you to be on my team because, uh, you know, you're 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 like the the C team. I, I need uh, you know, I, I need I need a team. So so that is as Sam comes across people, as our, as our listeners come across yeah. people that, hey, say, hey, I want to join the team. But you're as a leader going. I don't know if that's the the top tier I need, and I need a small group of 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 people. What is the easiest way to defer uh, those individuals, and and while encouraging them and, and not creating enemies? Yeah, this is really a, a best practice, and it's not a cop out. That's really to uh, make those individuals go through peer interviewing, so that everybody that's currently on your team spends time with them and vets them. And it's, it's a team decision because once you finally get a team where everybody trusts each other, they are overly protective about anyone invading that circle 
that would create any sort of distrust or disharmony. They, uh, once you've tasted it, you just never want to lose it. And so I could always count on our team. And it, it was amazing. Sometimes I would be very impressed with somebody. And another member of the team goes, I don't know, during their interview, something was said that just really didn't speak to my heart the right way. I just don't have a peace and a comfort about it. And so I would say, use your team, your close uh, band of brothers and sisters that are around you uh, to also protect you. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, well, pivoting to, to a, a, a bigger conversation, Sam, I want to talk about this new book that you've written. Uh, and I, I want you to tell our listeners uh, about uh, uh, this book, the, the title behind it, the meaning behind it, where it came from. Uh, so so let's, let's dive into that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad y'all asked. I'm so glad even to talk about it. So I just wrote a book called Let the World See You, How to Be Real in a World Full of Fakes. It talks about what it means to be seen, to be loved, to be known, to be human, to be authentic, and to be honest. And I mean, that book really was birthed out of the opposite. Mm. Mm. It was birthed out of hiding, pretending, being pretty polished and put together. Like you all said on the introductory podcast, talking about how the worst advice you ever got was, yeah, show up driving this nice car and look like you got to have all the money. And and like that was me for a bit. Not necessarily with the car, look like I have all the money, but it was look like you have no problems Mm. and have a smile. Not even the look like piece, but more like, well, no, it's all going to be good. It's going to be fine. And, And this book really was birthed out of a time where in a lot of ways... Inside, interpersonally, I was an intrapersonally, I was a mess. But if other people were to just look at the tweets or the newspaper clippings, you would say, man, this guy's got it together. And there comes a weight that you have to carry if you keep on pretending. That's why I love this podcast so much. Even from the very beginning, you all sharing, hey, this is what I'm really going through. Real life. You know, Jacob, some of the stuff with your family, right? I have a friend who's dealing with something similar. Real life. Hmm. It, so it resonates. And so for me, I, I, I wasn't always doing that. And I actually sat down with a friend of mine and it was a week before training camp. So a week before we were supposed to start the season, two, two three years, maybe 2018 or so. And I actually shared with him some of my struggles. Hmm. I shared with him some of my doubts, some of my frustrations, how I have these blind spots. I don't even know I have blind spots. I just keep on getting hit. And as I'm sharing with him, with the real me, I I begin to weep, to mourn, to cry, to like (gasps) I hyperventilate (laughs) at a restaurant, having dinner. And I kind of try to get the get it back together. And, and I'm like, I just need, I just need to get back to football. Our season starts in a week. You know, I, maybe I just need to get back to football. I was saying that before the tears came and then the tears came. And then he, he looked at me and he said two things. He said, one, if that's how you feel right now and you want to just get back to football, that you spent a, a three month off season. He said, I'm concerned about what happens when football is taken away from you mm. or when you are a former player, mm. not a current player. And then the tears began to flow even more. I didn't know. I didn't know where they came from. I'm, I'm not a. I'm not. I didn't consider myself a crier emotionally. I just. I don't know. They just started coming out. And as I'm wiping them away, he looks at me and he leans in, and he says, with a smile, he says, "It's really nice to see you." Wow. Hmm. It's nice to see you. And I'm wiping the tears away. They keep on coming down. I'm like, "What do you mean, nice to see me?" I give him this perplexed look. And he says, it's good to know that you're human. Mm -hmm. I've known you for eight, six, seven, eight years. We've done business together. We've traveled together. We've watched your games, gone to dinner, been to each other's houses. I've never seen this side of you. Mm -hmm. He says, Sam, you never know. Mind you, I'd share with him just so much that was going on in my life. He said, hey, you never know. Maybe, just maybe, 
God is writing a book in your life (laughs) and you may just be on chapter two. Wow. And in my mind, I'm like, chapter two, do you know what I've been through? Chapter two. He recommended I go talk to a, a, a therapist, mental health professional. My friend had was going through a lot. His family, his wife, so much loss and struggle and hardship. He had just finished talking to this this guy. He said, "Hey, I recommend you talk to him." And so I did. And and the very next week, I show up at a counselor's office, first time in my life. My dad is a mental health provider, so I kind of know how to you right. know put on the face and do the thing and. And I'm sitting in this man's office and he asked me a question. As soon as I walk in, he says, Sam, we had sat down for a minute or two and let me share about what I needed to share. Then he said, OK, I've got a question for you. He said, what do you do when you get angry? Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't get angry. Mm-hmm. He said, Sam, I'll ask again, what do you do when you get angry? And I said, I'll answer again. I just try not to get angry. He pauses. He looks at me. It was almost as if he was piercing my soul, my heart. He says, Sam, everyone gets angry. So what do you do when you get angry? It's almost like you said, Jacob, you haven't even, we haven't even met yet, but you can tell, oh, Sam, the guy and all the things and the smile and people love him. What do you do when you get angry? Everyone gets angry. And as he asked this question, I felt like it was pulling at my heart. I began once again, now a week later, to cry, to weep, to hyperventilate, to. (gasps) He said, Sam, I need you to breathe. (gasps) Breathe. (sighs) He said, he puts his hand on my chest, said, breathe. Sam, I'm going to put my hand on your stomach. I need you to breathe. takes a step back and he says, it's really nice to see you, Mm. Sam. There it is again. There it is again. So this book is really about what it means to be seen, to be known, to be loved. That wouldn't be the last time I would go to training camp the next day. Tears again, now in the locker room in front of my teammates, they said the same thing. It's nice to see you. Mm. Happen again and again and again. This journey of taking off the mask, of coming out of hiding of starting to be real and raw and honest and vulnerable being willing to fail and admit failure to give critical feedback and i realized it not only freed me up but it freed up those around me being you isn't just for you it's for everyone right because when you're when you're you god gets the glory the people around you benefit and the world around you thrives when you're you, when you hide, when you pretend, none of that happens. And so that's what the book's all about. It's funny. I know we're recording this on June 17th. I'm not sure when it's coming out, but it, it just got selected for Amazon's Kindle's deal of the month. And so it's actually on sale, I think $2.99 on, on Kindle for the month of, of June. And, and it was a number one bestseller on Amazon as well and sold 25,000 copies, which I'm head over heels and floor. And I'm actually working on another one now because as I realized during that process, even talking with the the book publishers, fast forward a couple months after all this happened, I said, oh, I need to write a book. And uh, they even said, Sam, you're not a football player. You're a writer. You've been repressing this writing thing. And so <laughs> when you're you, so much more comes out of it. Well, Sam, uh, and for all of our listeners, uh, don't worry about if you're driving. Uh, all of this will be in the show notes and ways in which to uh, obtain Sam's book that is out uh, to let the world see you. And and Sam, in writing a book, that's a huge undertaking. And I know that you spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I know there's an obvious answer to this question. But tell our listeners some of the things that you uncovered when you began to explore about hiding, why do you think people hide behind who they really are? We're afraid. People are afraid of, of being accepted for who they are. If they see the real me, will they still love me? If my wife, if my kids, if my parents, if they saw the real me, my coworkers, would they still love me and accept me? So there's fear. But the other piece is, 
I, I believe that a lot of us know who we are. And I believe a lot of us understand the power and the potential that we have. And I honestly believe that there is a, a large number of us that we're not afraid of being accepted by other people for our fail- failures or fears, but we're afraid if we really tap into our full potential, we won't be able to control it. Like, I don't know what's going to come out. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know if I'm going to be able to be the same person I was before. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If I really went all out on this, who knows? I might have a plan. I mean, I don't know if I'll be able to handle the success. And so there's two camps. There's one camp of maybe they won't accept me. There's the fear. But there's the other camp of, and I know I can do it, but... What will happen when I get there? I've never been there before. Will I fall? Will I fail? I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Well, as as we as we wrap up here before we go into the rapid fire questions, just some parting wisdom for our listeners. Obviously, like my dad said, the show notes below. Please make sure you check out Sam's book. But Sam, give us some parting words. Uh, and some encouragement to our listeners of of some simple ways they can start to take their mask off and and really show the world who they are. The easiest way it's out of coach who would say he'd say you know, it's simple but it's not easy. Think about uh, think about uh, working out, getting in shape, running fast. So another trainer of mine said the only way to to get faster is by running fast. The only way to hmm. to get in shape. Yeah, you don't get faster by doing drills and just, you know, you, know you, have, you actually have to run fast. Just practice running fast. Practice it. The drills will help, but you actually have to go out in there and run. You don't get in shape by going to the gym maybe once or twice a week. 80% of getting in shape is, is your diet. No one can force you to eat what you don't want to eat. No one can force you to go and, and take a walk around your neighborhood or get on the bike or the trail. No one can make you do that, even if you know it's good. And so the advice I would give to someone listening is that you are enough. You are seen. You are known. You are loved. For people who are followers of Jesus, you understand this. And sometimes you may not. But man, God knows you. Even if you don't follow Jesus, God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's for you. Period. And those things that you thought that were meant to bring you failure were actually meant to bring you closer to God. God knows he's the only thing that can satisfy at the end of the day. So he loves you so much that he'd be willing to take away all the things that you thought were the most important and leave you with him. And then you'll realize, oh, wow, those things don't even matter. And you know what? Since they don't even matter that much, I can chase them that much harder because I know if I get it, great. If I don't, great. I got God. And so my parting wisdom is that if anyone's listening, I would just ask them to, to get to know Jesus. I would ask them to get to know Jesus. And I know we have listeners from all around the world. So, you know, it's not this, you know, Americanized Christianity. Some people say it's not this white Jesus, right? Jesus was a Jew. He lived in Middle Eastern. You know what I mean? Like he was, you know, it's not, it's not like the, well, I go to church every Sunday and, and uh, I pay my tithes and all those things. No, it's the, it's the Micah 6, 8, seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's the Jesus who, as a boy, was in the temple trying to learn about his father. It's the Jesus who, even when his parents came and said, hey, wh- where, where were you? We were looking for you. And he said, hey. But then, you know, I'd be in my father's house, but he still followed his parents. Back home, it's the Jesus who came, who lived, who served, who loved, who gave, who waited, who was patient, who was a gentleman, kind, compassionate, and passionate, who got angry but didn't sin who spoke the truth in love, but spoke the truth, who died, who rose, 
and who's seated on who's seated in heaven saying, I, I'm, I'm, I'm setting this up for you all. Just believe in me. That's all. Just believe. You know, I just recently got an offer from ESPN. I finished playing football. No one is. I think y'all are the first. Incredible. Yeah. Podcast people oh, that know breaking this. Breaking news here. Yeah. Yeah. And um, let me know when y'all are releasing this. So I got I to gotta tell my family and friends first. I'm saying. But um, <laughs> my family knows. But I just got an offer from ESPN. And it's funny because I was waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's a verse in Proverbs or Psalms 25 or so. It says, those who wait upon the Lord will not be put to shame. And I was waiting, y'all. Didn't play football last year. Barely played the year before. Haven't announced retirement. Waiting on this contract. What is it going to be? Are we going to move? Are we going to stay? And I finally just gave up. I didn't give up believing or trying, but I gave up holding on to pleasing the people who I thought I had to please. Mm. said, sorry, y'all. I'm going to go in a different direction. And as I'm literally calling one of my family members and letting them know about this different direction I'm going to go in, my agent calls Mm. and says that offer that you were hoping for, you've been praying for, offer that I told you about before, they had a minimal offer, they doubled it. And that opportunity tripled, quadrupled. Incredible. Waiting on the Lord. And I don't say that to say, hey, if you follow Jesus, everything's going to go good. You're going to get the ESPN job. You're going to go play in the NFL. No. You're going to suffer. You're going to cry. You're going to be rejected. A lot of people are going to go through some things. But he said, I, I go to prepare a place for you. Not an earthly tent. Like Jacob, we talked about earlier. We have earthly fathers. Some are good. Some are bad but not a heavenly tent with a heavenly father, a forever tent with a forever father. And so whether you believe in him or not, he's real, <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes we have to just deconstruct the Americanized version of, of, of Jesus. Wow. Excellent, Sam. Wow, you have challenged us. Uh, as a dear friend of mine says, I think now all we just need to do is sing a song or go to house because we've been to church. <laughs> and so so thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for sharing that. And to also put your mind at ease, uh, we will not air this episode until the week of July 12th. And so that'll give you So you got some time, time to talk to the family. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to our listeners, you had the chance of hearing it first on the podcast. That's right. Well, uh, Sam, before we let you go, what we always like to do with our guests here at the end is uh, some rapid fire questions so we can just pick your brain a little bit more uh, and hear uh, about what makes you you. So, Dad, you want to lead off with the first question? You bet. Here we go, Sam. Best and worst advice. Best and worst advice that you've ever received. Worst advice, I'll start with that, that I ever received was after my rookie year, grinded, played well, um, and I wanted to work. I wanted to get better. And there were some older guys on the team that said, hey, man, you've been working hard all rookie season, training for the combine all before that. Your senior year, you were trying to show you could make it. Junior year, take some time off, man. Just rest. Go out. Have fun. Go party. Drink. Do your thing. Now's the time just to hang out and relax. And and that was just bad advice because I was a 22-year-old kid. I already I already could have done. I already was thinking that. So don't reinforce it. You know what I mean? Tell me to like, you know what I mean? And so that was bad advice. Anyways, the best advice ooh, was, was the advice that I just gave you all. See, that advice I gave you all wasn't for me. It was from a friend of mine named Jerry Price, a mentor. I talk about him in my book and let the world see you. He reminded me, number one, get to know Jesus. And the second thing he said, he said, Sam, you are worth getting to know. That was the best advice mm-hmm. I've ever received. That I was the reminder that I am worth getting to know. And you are too, to our listeners, each and every one of you. That's good. That's really good. good. Well, Sam, uh, on that note, uh, who are the most influential people in your life? Yeah, I would say my dad uh, is one of them for sure. Um, my buddy Lucas, who was there with me, who saw me that first time, who said, go see the counselor. And also, it's nice to see you. I call these people my board of directors. Like These are like my, yeah, my few people. Uh, I, I got a buddy named Steve, who's a pastor and a writer and a teacher uh, of the Word of God. He's a great friend of mine. Uh, but really, I'd say it'd be my dad, it'd be Lucas, and then my wife would probably be uh, at that group. Steve and, and my homie Boomer as well. They're a part of that board of directors, too. <laughs> That's good. That's good. 
Hey, Sam, when was the last time you took a risk and how did it work out? Like yesterday. The whole, like uh, straight up, I was thinking about this. Yeah, you know, you know, most questions I don't get beforehand. Most times I don't read the questions. I, for whatever reason, I read these questions before for this rapid fire yesterday with ESPN. I'm telling y'all, I was planning on moving my whole family to a different state for something different. And I was talking to my wife and she was like, we're going to get the ESPN offer. Wow. And the fact of the matter is, if we go move right now, like ESPN, it's a, it's a two year deal. In a year or two, they might say, hey, come come move to Bristol. Come move to New York. Like, let's do it. So, so before we even got the official offer, she said, instead of moving and like settling, we're going to go back to Texas and just settle down. She said, what if we just stayed here in Chicago where we've been the last few years and waited? And I was like, what do you mean? We've been, we like applied for schools and we got into the schools. We've been looking for houses. We told the school here that for our kids, we're not coming. And we put our house, you know, we're going to put our house, give it to a friend so we can move it. Like, what do you mean? She said, we'll just consider. So we thought, and we prayed, we thought, and we prayed, we thought, and we prayed, and we talked a little bit more. And I started calling the schools that we applied into, that we got into these number one rated schools of the nation. I said, hey, there's a, there's a good opportunity. I'm not going to come anymore. We told our parents excited us about us coming home. Our, my, sis, my, my, my sister, Chi-Chi, she's excited. She actually uh, does work with Hockaday now, her old school as well. She's excited about us coming, told all of them, and hadn't had any offer yet. And I was literally on the phone with my other sister, Stephanie, letting her know. I said, I don't think we're going to come anymore. And then the phone rings. Wow. And it's my agent. And he says, as I mentioned before, you... I don't know what happened, but this op- they, 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 they really stepped up their offer. And I accepted it on, on the spot. It just reminded me of that verse in Hebrews eleven six: 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That was a risk. Because I could have said, well, let's just wait and just see and who knows. And it's like the risk is sometimes in waiting. Wow. Sometimes the risk is in waiting. That's right. That's right. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, you, you've spoke about them a lot, and so I'm, I'm excited about this question. But tell us uh, about something or describe something you learned from your parents. Ooh, I learned how to show up. Mm. I learned how to show up this last weekend. This last weekend, we hadn't seen our parents in a while, like COVID and traveling and pandemic and all the things, and and you know the kids were in school and all these things, and and they were going to come a couple weeks ago to come visit us, and I was working on some stuff, and I wasn't able to. I was like, hey, could we move it back a little bit? Because I was going to be traveling and all the things. And and they showed up literally just this last weekend just to be with us. Wow. They said, man, we were hungry for you all. Mm. They showed up, but it wasn't the first time they showed up. They would consistently show up. Yes, the football game. My parents didn't miss a game in college. Every game they showed up. My dad still was doing stuff at church and had a private practice. My mom still, you know, she's a, a DNP, doctor, nurse practitioner. They showed up. Every game in college, even in the NFL, they showed up to nearly every single game, but it didn't start there in high school. My dad would see his patients. You know, he's a marriage counselor, as I mentioned, a mental health counselor. You'd see patients all day, all night. But if we had a basketball game, he'd end and he'd show up. Even if he was 30 minutes late, 40 minutes late, he would be there. Hmm. High school, middle school. Football, basketball, as kids playing soccer, they showed up. And so if there's anything I learned from my parents, it's it's the power of just showing up. Presence, the power of presence. Wow. Wow. That's mm. good. Good. Very good. Well, Sam, how about the best and worst job that you've ever had? Best and worst job. Playing in the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Best, <laughs> both, both, both the best and the worst. It's the best. I told you the candy, right? Well, you get candy, right. y'all. Can you believe uh, it? You know what uh, I mean? Uh, on the flights. Um, so best, obviously, there's so many reasons. Teammates, friends, playing a game for a living, running. I love to run. And so getting a chance to run and work out and all the things with these great facilities and all these things, relationships. But also it could be the worst because sometimes there's bickering and infighting and egos and coaches with egos and there's fans who attack. And so um, it's, it's, it's the best. And also there are some negatives as well. Wow. Yeah. Well, Sam, what book are you reading right now? 
honestly, and I was thinking about this question earlier, I'm not reading anything right now. I've been writing, I've been yeah, writing that's fair. Uh, yeah. a book. So I haven't had capacity to, to, to read. Uh, I've got one in my, in my car right now that I'm going to pick up, but I've been writing, working on another book. Uh, that's where my mind has been these last couple weeks and months. That's awesome. And how about in addition to the Bible, best book you've ever read? Yeah. So I'll give to one, let the world see you, which is mine. I really think I, I, I honestly like when I, even when I'm down, like when I'm sad, I'll go and I'll read that book. I listened to the audio book at a, a man named Percy actually recorded the audio book for us. And I'll listen to that and, and I'll cry. Like I'll weep. Mm. And so there's that uh, huge fan of that. And I also was a fan of, of love does by Bob Goff. I read that book <laughs> as I was going to propose to my wife who was in Nigeria at the time. And so those are the two. Let the world see you and uh, and loved us. Wow. Yeah. Phenomenal. Bob Goff. Bob Goff, he loves, he loves the country of Uganda, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he really does. Well, final question. What's next for Sam Macho? ESPN. <laughs> That's what's next yeah. for me. That's what's yeah. next. I couldn't be more excited. ESPN. I'm literally, I mean, I was in tears when they told me. He told me and I cried. Um I'm excited. You know, I love being on TV. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be fun. I'm going to get an opportunity to learn and to get better and to get reps. They're going to use me. I'm going to be able to get reps. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about these, uh, this next book that I'll be writing. I'm excited about that people are going to be getting and, or, and, and, and listening to the audio book or reading the physical book of Let the World See You or even getting the Kindle book of Let the World See You. I'm excited about that. And I love to speak as well. I go and I, you know, speak around the world and around the country at uh, organizations and colleges and, and nonprofits. So I love, love, love that. But short answer, four letters, ESPN. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, man, Sam, it is just, we were, we were blown away when we got connected to you. We felt just humbled and honored yes. uh, for you to even consider being on the show. And then the fact that you said, yes, uh, we were jumping up and down and high-fiving each other. So Thank you so much uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule uh, to be here today to talk to us and to talk to our listeners. So thanks for being here. Awesome. Thanks, Jacob and Glenn. Thank you. I, um, you remind me a lot of my dad as well. And even seeing the way that your son, I only know Jacob, I don't know the other, uh, your other kids and grandkids, but seeing the way that they respect you uh, means a lot to me. And even listening to y'all's podcast, listening means a lot. So thank you all for what you do. Absolutely. Well, to our listeners uh, uh, below, like we mentioned, uh, is going to be in the show notes will be Sam's books, uh, Sam's website, his social media accounts. Please check them all out. Please go get this great book. Uh, And as always, thanks for listening today. Our guest today, Sam Acho, NFL player, speaker, author, and co-host of the Home Team Podcast. Check it out as well. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for your kind comments, my friend. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe, share our podcast with others, and follow us along on our Instagram account. And until next time, keep chasing what matters.